Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, August 23rd, 2020, we begin a new series titled The Ideal, a study in Colossians. Today's sermon, The Ideal Reputation, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Enjoy. Our reputation typically comes from our belief system, our worldview, or in our case, our biblical worldview. Our belief drives an action. Our action develops a reputation. I want you to think of belief as a state uh, and or a habit of mind. We sometimes find ourselves off the path of God, and sometimes we find ourselves desperately in dependence upon our God. But hopefully what we're doing is we're renewing our mind and we're moving into a habit of turning to Christ first rather than turning to our desires, our natural desires. Sometimes I think that we get a little lost in the most subtle of things. Sometimes we come across people who will tell you that they believe in Jesus Christ, but they do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. Sometimes there can be distractions in our world, but sometimes they're even more subtle than that. I think illustratively of my grandparents. My grandparents spent a lot of time telling my parents that they should live good. This has developed culturally in the United States a guilt-based belief system. In fact, There's this little verse in Romans 3 that says that no one seeks God, no one is righteous, no one is good, no, not even one. But yet, for an entire generation, and generations even to come, there's a command that is oftentimes given to your children as they're leaving the home, going out with their friends. Be good. You represent our family. It's been incredibly clear that we created an entire generation where their identity in life is their reputation. Maybe it's their family reputation. But nonetheless, there is great guilt that is oftentimes put upon people to perform. To oftentimes perform as if they are the ones that are holy. When we all know in the truth of God's word, it is only God who is holy. Sometimes these parents put these things on them, but yet hid. It came with, we must maintain our family reputation at all costs. Therefore, we keep family secrets. I remember after both my grandparents had passed away, I was with my father, and we were literally packing up the boxes of my grandparents' home. And we're thumbing through all the keepsakes and the memories and all the different things, and we came across this certificate And I pull the certificate out of this box, I'm blown away. The certificate was for my grandmother's divorce from her first marriage. Not even my dad knew this. As my dad stared at the piece of paper and he looked at this certificate of divorce, he sees the name of the man that she was first married to. He says, that man, Jeffrey, lived four doors away from us. Reputation can oftentimes lead us to this place of keeping secrets rather than confessing our sin. My parents took the 
not only be good, but they added to it. I remember being um, in the 1970s, some will remember this, when we had to wait in lines for gasoline and only on odd and even days. I remember my father had instructed me to go out and change the license plate from my mom's car to his car so that he could get gas that day. <laughs> but as they were rationing gas, we were sitting at the gas station, and this is back in the still the full service gas days where people came out and washed your windows, you know, checked your fluids, and pumped your gas. And my mother told me, Jeffrey, you see that man right there that's pumping gas? I said, yeah. He didn't work very hard in school. More guilt, right? You know, you, you just need to be good and you need to work hard. Because if you don't work hard, you're going to end up like that guy pumping gas. And that guy was probably the richest guy in our neighborhood. But the, beside that... <laughs> Beside that, right, it's this, it's this trying to communicate that if I would just work hard, then I could be successful. This mindset has produced an entire generation that identifies by their work or their vocation. Anyone who's over 45 usually starts conversations with people, strangers on airplanes with, so what do you do? Not who are you all about? Why do you exist? Do you believe in God? Why would I care what you do for a living if not for selfish gain that hopefully we synergize with each other and I can make a sale on this flight? But my identity, myself, became my work. It became my job. Not Christ. Just a little subtlety. And of course, my generation, we passed down things like participation trophies. I remember I'm the worst dad in the world. When my kids were coming out of their softball uh, thing where they all got participation trophies, I literally looked at them and I said, come on girls, throw those things away. Let's go, throw those things away. Things away. Get rid of them. Right? Just because you breathe and have a pulse and showed up to practice and played in games does not get you an award. Nothing a little therapy won't fix later on in life. <laughs> but the biggest message that we gave our children wasn't just be good, you represent the family. It wasn't just be good and work really hard so you can be someone someday. But it started to evolve into this mindset of, you know what, you have the freedom to be anyone you want. If you work hard and you be good, you could be the next president of the United States. You see, this has created the you-do-you you culture where identity is self-imposed, where I can literally say that I'm anything that I want to be. I know that people walk around and say that I identify as this. It's created worldviews that tears us away from the gospel and from the person of Jesus Christ. You see, I hope that we all know that there is nothing, there is no legislation, there is no congressional order, there is nothing the government is ever going to do to take away systemic evil in our world. 
The only thing that will do that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. Or his return home. When Jesus comes back, all politics will be over. There will be one last moment, and it's called the great white throne judgment. It is because of these subtle non-truths that it leads to an ungodly result. Where we live in a world where someone can utter the words, my body, my choice, wrong. It is his body that he created, and it is his choice. We must come to the realization that it is imago Dei. It is this Latin phrase that means that we are created in the image and the likeness of God. He knit you together in your womb before, in her womb before you were even born. He brought you into existence. We live in a world that is confused over gender identity. Let me break it out to you. He created XX and XY. That's what he created. We must come to the realization. Now listen, don't get me wrong. There are many people, many people in this room that have committed sins in these particular categories. They are just sins and you can lay those at the foot of the cross and find forgiveness in Christ Jesus. We get into these areas sometimes where what I call red state churches, like Highlands, right? Where we get into this mindset where we don't want to talk about social justice and social equality. But let me tell you, brothers and sisters, this is a centerpiece of God's word. God is a God of justice. And let me tell you, in the Imago Day, let me tell you what he's done. He has entrusted this responsibility to you and to me. That we must care for the widows. We must care for the poor. We must rise up and make sure that we are making sure that people are treated as those created in the image and likeness of God. You can see how it leads to this point number one. That our belief determines our actions. Our belief determines our actions. And what we believe at any one particular time will drive what I will do next. The Puritan Jonathan Edwards said, if you tell me what a man believes, I'll tell you what he'll do. You think about the impact of subtle false teachings and what they've had on our world, our culture, our children, all of us. Because we live in a fallen world what we would call systemic evil. Our society is looking for the answer to systemic racism. Start with systemic evil. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Know that it is he and he alone that can bring healing to any land. So what if we have failed to model the Imago Dei, the image of God? What if we failed to teach the fullness of the gospel? What if at times we failed to simply teach the Jesus of the Bible? Not the Jesus of our fantasy. You see, this is a growing problem. 
I remember when my oldest daughter entered into college, I told her before she walks in that door at, at Colorado State University, I said, listen, I don't know who it's going to be, but there's going to be some professor who's going to look you in the eye and he's going to tell you everything your parents have told you, everything you learned from your church was wrong. And if you want to pass my class, you'll pay attention to what I'm going to teach you about the existence of life and the purpose of your life. I couldn't believe it. She called me 15 minutes after the class ended and she says, Dad, it was almost word for word. <laughs> students, those students that are here today, a handful of you, right? Man, I love you guys. But this is a time where you need to be prepared for what is coming before you. The onslaught that is going to try and rip you from the Savior's arms. I want you to understand one thing to be simply true. This is your church. This is your family. These are the people who want to minister to you the gospel of Jesus Christ so that when you walk into the real world, you aren't blasted out of the water. Pastor Bob laid down last week this vision, and the reason why you're here as opposed to having your own separate service is because you are part of this family. You're not only welcome here, but I'm calling you to attend church. I'm calling you to serve. I'm calling you to disciple people. I'm calling you to be a part of a small group and grow in the person of Jesus Christ. Be prepared. The book of Colossians is that. It prepares us. It is a 2,000-year-old letter, and we ought to have how we ought to model and warn not only this generation, but the generations to come. So who wrote the book of Colossians? Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae. In fact, he'd never been to that city Colossians 2.1 will tell us that. But Paul sought to develop personal connections with the people that he had hoped to teach and to serve. And rather than just going from city to city and asserting his apostolic authority, that nickel term there, apostolic authority, is that there were in fact apostles. And the criteria of the apostles is that they witnessed not only the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but they were specifically appointed by Jesus Christ to be leaders of the church. This position in the church no longer exists. And the Apostle Paul met Jesus, as we know, on the road to Damascus. But the more personal tone that he sets comes to us at the end of the letter when he says that he's writing this letter in his own hand. It would have been common in those days to have a scribe, to have someone else that would write down as you would speak. But Paul took personal to this, and he wrote the letter in his own hand. So where are we? We're approximately 60 or 61 A.D. And during his first imprisonment in Rome, Paul penned this letter to the Colossians. Um, he penned it after he had received a report that they were struggling with certain historical heresies, these false teachings that were infiltrating the church. The main one that he was dealing with was, in fact, people saying that Jesus wasn't God but only the Son of God. 
The report came from Epaphras, right? Likely he was the leader of the church at Colossae uh, and a convert of Paul's from his more than two-year ministry that took place at Ephesus. In other words, the book of Ephesians. Epaphras had come from Rome and he was there to minister to Paul while he was in jail. And why is the book of Colossians important? The church at Colossae was under attack from false teachers who were denigrating the deity, right? The, the, the godhood of Jesus. And they were teaching that he was not actually God. And though Paul had never been to the church itself, he had addressed these issues really head on. In the weeks and months to come, this is incredible what Paul is going to do. The amount of doctrine, the amount of truth that Paul is going to lay out so that we would have an understanding as to the nature of Jesus Christ as not only the creator of the heavens and the earth, but the redeemer of those that he would purchase. This aspect of the gospel was non-negotiable to Paul. People needed to understand that he not only bought you, but he created you. And in this difficult time, of course, what we see is that God in his greatness is glory, rather than his deficient view given them by the false teachers, need to cling to the person of Jesus Christ. The big idea of Colossians is that in this book, Paul described Jesus with some of the loftiest language that we're going to see in the New Testament. That language is going to build a theology. One of the things that he does, you'll notice, is that he refers to oftentimes as Jesus as Christ Jesus. This isn't just for, for form. Sometimes I call him Jesus Christ. Sometimes I call him Christ Jesus. This is intentional. Paul is pointing to the preeminence of Jesus Christ. He's saying that we need to worship him as God, as creator. Christ Jesus is referring to his personhood before he was even born of a virgin, that he is almighty God. So how do we apply this to our everyday life? Your view of Jesus Christ will, of course, impact every area of your life. Many today, of course, only want some sort of practical instruction and helps for living that sometimes eschews topics such as doctrine, right? The principles of what we believe. But it not only does that, but we are looking at the theology, right? The study of God. Paul's view, of course, was different. He saw what we call the Christological, right? The knowledge or the study of Christ, I often close prayers with that we would grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's important that we study the person of Jesus. Believers have died with Christ, therefore we need to die to our sins. We've also been raised with Christ, therefore we must live well and, uh, in him and put on qualities that are motivated by Christian love. It is understanding that we have to ask ourselves the question, are we following Jesus Christ as we should? Is it producing in us a trust and a dependence upon him? Are you following him this way? Our faith in Jesus Christ should transform the relationships that exist around us. The relationships in our homes, our church, our neighborhood, our world. 
Christ is, in fact, our very identity. It's why we call ourselves Christians or little Christ. And the question that we will wrestle with throughout Colossians is, does your reputation reveal that simple truth? Does it, in fact, reveal that you are a follower of Christ, that you are a little Christ? With that, we're going to look at just the opening of Colossians. Colossians 1, 1 through 8. It starts like a Jeopardy question. He, in fact, is giving the answer before he gets into the meat of what he's writing the letter about. He starts by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from our God and Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood that the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Point two today is that our action produces a reputation. When we start to look at our action that produces a reputation, we start to look at the letter and all of these results that Paul is pointing to at this church at Colossae. In verse one, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. He's saying that he is an apostle of God, meaning that he was appointed by Christ and is talking to that church as the authority that speaks on behalf of Christ and the church. He importantly says that his authority is limited specifically to the will of God. He doesn't come here under his own volition and his own desires of what he wants to see, but he comes preaching the word of God and tells them what it must be for them to live a life according to Christ. But in verse two, he says to the saints and faithful brothers, that term brothers there is pluralized, so it means both brother and sisters. It's gender neutral. But the word saints, the word hagios is the word that's used there. And hagios is a word that talks about a holy or a sacred or a pure person or a holy one. Is that what Paul would write of you? Is that what Paul would write of this body of believers? Would he refer to us as saints, as faithful brothers who are holy and pure, not because of what we do, but because of our trust and our dependence on the person of Jesus Christ? In verse three, he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Is your reputation of one being known as a prayer warrior 
for the saints and for your brothers and sisters? Are you known as that? Verse 4, he says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, that preeminent Jesus, and the love that you have for all the saints, be faithful to Jesus Christ as the creator of the heavens and the earth, as the God of all time. Why? Because your identity here determines ultimately your proximity to the throne room of Jesus himself. I'm going to show you that in just a minute, but, but look at this, look at this. There was a classic old debate that took place between John Wesley and George Whitfield. And as these two men were debating on the doctrines of grace on the steps, back in these days in the 1700s, the media covered stuff like that. And these men went back and forth and back and forth, and it got rather personal at times in their debate, you know, kind of trying to get their point across, and they're, and they're debating in a healthy way. And as they walked away, the media, part of the media followed, uh, followed John Wesley, and they said, you know, Pastor Wesley, do you even think that you will see George Whitfield in the kingdom of heaven? And he turned around to the media and he says, no. Man, they're breaking out their pens, you know, because this is a great juicy story, right? John Wesley says George Whitfield's going to hell, right? And so it's like, this is a great story. And he turns around and he says, no, because, because George Whitfield will be far too close to the throne room of Jesus Christ for me to ever even encounter him. Do we love our brothers and sisters this way? Do we see them as saints, as holy and blameless? Do we see them as the people created in the image of God who have the indwelling Holy Spirit in them and live their lives for Christ? Because look at what he says in, verses, in verse five. After he says, so in four, he says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Brothers and sisters, are you heavenly minded? Are you heavenly focused? Or are you so caught up in the world and the concern of all that's going on that you're losing sight of your, your heavenly life? You have more life in front of you than you do behind you by all mathematical statistics. Let's be heavenly minded. Let's be focused, as we would say, on the life to come, not the world today. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have conscience and get out and vote. You should. But you know and I know that God appoints leaders. I also know that John Calvin said that if God ever wanted to condemn a nation, he'll appoint wicked leaders. We saw it all throughout Scripture. God appointed Nero. God appointed Nebuchadnezzar. God appointed Herod. And God will appoint the next leader of this country. Don't be caught up in this world, but please, by all means, vote your conscience because God works in the hearts of men. Do not wander from the truth of the word. Your identity in this world is gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ, that is your message, that is my message. Verse six tells us, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, the gospel, it is bearing fruit and increasing 
as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Man, we need to approach this world with grace. We need to approach other churches in our community with grace. Let's have unity in the essentials. Let's have liberty in the non-essentials, but let's carriage it all by charity or by grace. To love one another as brothers and sisters. He says to us to understand the grace of God. The gospel is the purpose for this world. And if you're not growing in the gospel, here's what growing in the gospel looks like. A growing awareness of the holiness of God while I have an equally growing awareness of the wickedness of my soul and my sinful desires. Because when I understand the two in contrast, it leads me to the place of being dependent upon the cross, upon the works and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It draws me into living a gospel-centered life. Brothers and sisters, I'm offering this to you. If you're struggling with this, if you're not growing in the gospel, please call me, book an appointment, come in and sit in my office. I will spend time with you and I will show you in the word of God the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be set free by the words that God has for us. Understand the grace of God in truth. Christianity is the only identity that is received, not achieved. You can't work your way into the kingdom of heaven. You must take the free gift of God, right? You have been saved by grace through faith, not of works should any man boast, but it is the free gift of God. Please take this gift and unfold it for your life. 2 Peter 3.18 tells us, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why? Because to him be the glory, both now and the day of eternity. Maybe you're thinking to yourself that you're not growing. Maybe you're thinking that you may not be growing because your life is not centered on the gospel. But like I said, the gospel grows in the awareness of God's holiness. And the problem is, is that we insert these wedges in the middle of our life of perform and pretend. I start to live my life with the subtle lies of the world. And I start to perform as if I'm the one that's holy because I'm protecting my family reputation. Or I pretend that I'm not a sinner at all. And therefore, I can let my identity be work and I can ignore all my responsibilities at home because it's just another business trip. Verse seven and eight. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit of God. So point three, my final point is this, be a faithful minister of Christ. This isn't a vocation. It's a calling upon all believers. You must be a faithful minister of Christ to have the identity and the reputation of a saint. Worldly identity narratives tell us that you have to be true to yourself. It tells you that you have to feel good about yourself. 
The church can't be make the gospel about your or my self-esteem. Christianity is where your identity and your reputation will collide. You'll be in conflict like the Apostle Paul who says in Romans 7, I do the very thing that I do not want to do. There will be a struggle. And the struggle is real because the world has fallen. It is systemic evil, a system of evil that wants to lead you away from the throne room of grace. This evil can only be conquered through the gospel. And the grace of God can only be received, never achieved. You must offer people the gospel. You must show them what the gospel looks like. Because brothers and sisters, I can tell you, Congress can't legislate morality. We must live the gospel. When the love of Christ through the gospel is the supreme purpose of your reputation, all other identities will fade away. Your love for other people, to love and minister to them, relationships come into right order. The question is, is do you want to be known as the ideal parent, grandparent, child, aunt, uncle, or friend? The letter to the church at Colossae will point you to the ideal. And let me tell you, it doesn't have anything to do with your family. It has everything to how you live your life with the person of Jesus Christ. When you're right with Christ, everything else falls into place. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of this God. The call upon our life is to be active, to help families grow together in faith and actively serve our community, to follow Jesus. Like Jesus, invite everyday people to believe, to walk, to step by step with Christ. Like Bob said last week, take your next steps to live missionally to attend church, to serve the body, to join a small group, to make disciples. It is my prayer that in serving, that it would be 100% of the body serving 100% of the body. God's calling to us to have right reputation is to have right belief, to know the grace of God and the person of Jesus Christ which will compel you to right action. And that right action will reveal a right reputation that glorifies the person of Jesus Christ. Our Father and our God, Lord, we thank you so much for your word, your truth, the calling that you put upon our life to live for you by living like you. Help us, Lord, to truly grow in your grace. Help us to truly grow in our knowledge and in our awareness of Jesus Christ, the Holy One, the creator of it all. To his glory may we live. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. To the saints and the faithful brothers and sisters at Highlands, today I want to charge you that it is the reputation of Christ that we serve, not ours. We live for him. We're called by him. And now what we must do is go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To God be the glory. I love you guys. I hope to see more of you next week. Bye.